0: doing something for yourself that that will have lasting impact, not only on the lives of others. So I want to ask you, we talked last week about, um, you know, uh, breaking the ice and starting to ask questions with people maybe that you didn't know really well. We asked you to think of a person that you could ask some questions to this week to try to get to know them a little better, kind of break into the beginning of developing a friendship with them. And uh, so, how did that go? Did that work for you? Did you did you actually do something? I know that uh, I had uh, uh, written down the name or said the name of a guy named Roger, and we had a little conversation. He's not the easiest guy to talk to, so I got to keep working on that one. But I also took the opportunity to start some other conversations with people. I started uh, uh, going to a new gym, and. Uh, so I, I, I had some conversations with some people there, found out some interesting things about them and their experiences, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, that doesn't come natural to me. I, I, um, I'm not really that kind of person that initiates conversations. Uh, in fact, that really, for me, is, um, is a real step. I don't uh, do that really easily, I don't... Um, I don't know, I'm a bit of an introvert. I know you don't think I am because I stand up here and talk to you every week and you probably think I could never do that, you know. They say the thing that people are most afraid of in life is standing in front of uh, a crowd and talking to them. That doesn't bother me a bit. I can talk to a crowd, it could be a thousand, it could be a couple thousand people, it doesn't bother me. Um, It's uh, and. But to talk to a person one-on-one, to start a conversation with someone and to develop a friendship with them is a challenge for me. So this is a challenging series for me. So I just encourage you to keep that up. Our goal is not just to get to know a lot of people. Our goal is to become spiritual friends, to become people that actually... Go beyond just the niceties of how are you, how's your day, what do you think of the hockey game, what do you think of the, you know, what do you, what do you think about the the latest news story or the weather or whatever it might be. But we want to develop into spiritual friendships where we start talking about the deeper issues. And of course, you have to earn the right to get there. You can't just start there, but uh, but you can earn the right to get into some of the deeper conversation. As spiritual friends, we need, to, we want to talk about faith. We want to talk about values. Uh, We want to get to the point where we talk about life and its meanings, its purpose. We want to talk about goodness. We want to talk about beauty, truth, life after death, life before death, and God, of course. You know, to be able to get to the point where we're comfortable enough or where that person is comfortable enough with us that we can actually talk about things that really matter. When I, was in, uh, when I was learning how to, you know, share my faith, witnessing, as they, we called it in, in church uh, years ago, we learned how to go door to door and talk to people about their faith. And the, one, of the, one of the opening line questions of talking to people about their faith was, do you know where you're going to go after you die? Um, you know, if you die today, do you know you're going to go to heaven? Would be the kind, of, the kind of question we'd ask. Well, that's a pretty uh, jump in kind of question. And, uh, and that, you know, that had an effect for people that understood about life after death. They had a concept of faith, but a lot of people don't have that concept today. So it's not necessarily the best place to start, but it's a place you may want to go. One of the topics people are, are talking a lot about today, you hear a lot about the news, and, and people are talking about is a person's right to choose when they die. It's a very, very hot topic in our, in our culture, and, and some of us may have some really strong opinions about that, but as spiritual friends, if we're gonna have conversations with our friends and that's something that interests them, we gotta get to the point where we're, we're willing to have a conversation about something like that that is respectful, that we're willing to listen to their opinion before we dump our opinion on them. It's not about arguing with a person, it's about actually having an open conversation and influencing people through the conversations we might have as a true spiritual friend. Adding, our goal is to add value to their life, to help them to think about these things and to understand these things. So today's topic, we're going to talk about exiting the echo chamber. <clears throat> and that simply means, you know, when you're in an echo chamber, the only voice you ever hear is your own. Right? If you're listening to an echo, you're only listening to yourself. And you know, it's really easy to listen to me because I agree with everything I say. You know, everything that comes out of my mouth is just, like, something I agree with because it originates with me. But the things that other people might share with me, especially if they're different than me, are more challenging to me, especially if they're unique from me. So getting out of the echo chamber is, is, to, is to say we need to put ourselves in a place, we need to put ourselves in, a, in, a situ, in situations where the voices that we're hearing aren't necessarily the voices that agree with our voice. We have to be prepared to be able to hear other voices. Um, you know, when, if I, all the people I know in my life are people just like me, that think like me, that act like me, that believe like me, uh, that vote like me, that um, that you know have the same values as I do, that raise their kids like me, you know. If all the people that I spend time with only think about things the way I think about things, I'm not going to be challenged, it's like living in an echo chamber. But if we step outside of the echo chamber and we put ourselves in position where we are with people of a different tribe, of a different mindset of a different, uh, that think differently, and talk differently, and act differently, we become less comfortable ourselves, but we're in a position where we can actually have greater influence and add value into their lives, and they will add value into our lives. So our story today is uh, is about Jesus. Last week we talked about Peter, and uh, our story today is about Jesus. And Jesus was a great conversationalist. Jesus, like, I mean, he did, he's not like me at all. He could start a conversation with anybody. And he almost always started a conversation with a question. When he came to somebody uh, that was uh, maybe a stranger to him, he would open a conversation often by asking a question. And uh, Jesus was really good with that. Even with people that were different than himself. We're going to talk about a story today where Jesus had a conversation with a woman, a woman of a different race a woman of a different um, uh, different religious sect. She was quite different than him. And in fact, it was really kind of startling that Jesus would even have a conversation with her. First of all, because she was a woman. Because men didn't have conversations with women in that day. Because men didn't even acknowledge women. Women were just, you know, kind of something you owned. It wasn't something you actually respected or had, any, had, had a uh, conversation with. They just kind of worked for you. They served you, um, whether you were their husband or someone else's um, as well. So <clears throat> Jesus, would, uh, Jesus began a conversation with someone. We're going to look at that story in just a minute. But when you look at the conversations, if you read through the story of Jesus in the scripture, you'll see that Jesus often uh, began his conversation with questions. Or people asked him a question. But then, when, even when people asked Jesus a question, he rarely answered them straight out. He'd usually ask them a question in return. He didn't just, just, you know, he made sure that the conversation would continue by keeping asking questions. And he was always keeping the conversation flowing through uh, questions. Jesus rarely told people what they should do or what they should think. Maybe down the road, after having a conversation with them, maybe after having, a, uh, you know, having laid out several options for a person, then Jesus would be more pointed with them. But rarely did Jesus ever say, now, now this is how you need to change your thinking, or this is how you need to do that. We're going to be talking about some of those stories in the next little while, but one of them will be today. Um, he usually adapted himself to the other person's circumstances and to their culture. He didn't expect them all to think like him and talk like him. He would adapt himself. He understood. He learned about their culture, and he uh, would adapt himself to their culture. And it's really very plain in the story we're going to look at today when he talks to a woman. He understands what uh, this woman is all about. And his initial question with this woman is, uh, can you give me something to drink? They were at a well. <clears throat> and he knew that she would understand that when there's a man there, Um, she would be, he could ask her for a drink, and he would be expecting that she would provide a drink. And so Jesus understood the culture of his day, and he understood what this woman's expectations would be, and he, um, he would follow through on that. He took time to understand that kind of thing. And Jesus usually did not take the bait of a provocative or argumentative conversation. A lot of people tried to engage Jesus in an argument. They tried to provoke him into saying something that would be offensive, or that would be, they tried to tr- trick him into um, saying something blasphemous. Because they wanted to discredit Jesus. And Jesus rarely took that bait. I, this is one thing I envy about Jesus. It's hard for me not to take the bait. When someone throws something out at me that's controversial or something that's, that's um, aggressive or something that's uh, demeaning or critical, it's very hard for me not to take the bait and to jump in with an argument or something like that. Jesus rarely did that. He continued to ask a question. Well, we're gonna take a look at this story. We're going to, it's from in the Gospel of John, it's John chapter four, and we happen to have a video representation. Uh, years ago, the Gospel of John was adapted for a movie, and it's narrated by Christopher Plummer. So we're gonna look at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well via video today.
1: So when Jesus heard what was being said, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. On his way there, he had to go through Samaria. In Samaria, he came to a town named Sychar, which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by the trip, sat down by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw some water.
2: Give me a drink of water.
1: His disciples had gone into town to buy food.
2: You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink?
1: Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use.
2: If you only knew what God gives, then who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you a life-giving water. Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get that life-giving water? It was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. You don't claim to be
1: greater than Jacob, do you?
2: Those who drink this water will get thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring which will provide them with life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again. Nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband and come back.
1: I don't have a husband.
2: You are right when you say you don't have a husband. You've been married to five men and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. You are a prophet, sir. My Samaritan ancestors worshipped God on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Believe me, woman, the time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship, but we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming and is already here, when by the power of God's Spirit, people will worship the Father as He really is, offering Him the true worship that He wants. God is Spirit, and only by the power of His Spirit can people worship Him as He really is. I know that the Messiah will come, and when He comes, He will tell us everything. I am he, I who am talking with you.
1: At that moment, Jesus' disciples returned, and they were greatly surprised to find him talking with a woman. But none of them said to her, what do you want? Or asked him, why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the town.
2: See the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he what? be the what? Messiah?
0: It's hmm. well done. Uh, taken directly from the Gospel of John, the story there is uh, is how it was told in uh, in scripture, and well done. There's a scripture that I want to just. Uh, kind of highlight this morning before we kind of look at th- this story a little bit closer, and it's, uh, it's from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. And it says, <clears throat> A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Paul Paul gives Timothy, the young preacher, some really good advice here about how to relate to people, and it really follows along with the kind of thing that Jesus did. One of our our tendencies when people, uh, we start, start a conversation with people or start a friendship with people that disagree with us on things like faith, like about our religion or our beliefs, our morality, we often want to convince them and we get into a quarrel or an argument with them. Both Jesus and Paul indicate that that's not a good strategy in spiritual friendship, that if you really want to get to someone, then you need to kind of step back a little bit and be a little wiser about how you approach those situations. So let's look at what Jesus did um, and look at it particularly in the context of what, what it is like to go and um, talk to people that are different than us. Of course, talking to people that are the same as us is easier. But people that are different, people that are a different race, people that are a different uh, religion, people that just have different worldview or different values in their life, it's quite, more, it's quite a bit more difficult to speak with them or to develop a friendship with them. But Jesus did it, so why can't we try to do that as well? First of all, Jesus gave us a great example, and uh, Jesus didn't, he avoided labeling people. And I think if we're going to be um, developing spiritual friendship with people, we have to really hold back on the labels we put on people. You know, uh, it didn't point this out, but in some of the translations, it, the disciples were quite condescending when, uh, Je- when, when they came back and found Jesus talking to this woman. They said thing, They said uh, something like this. They said, "They said, Jesus, don't you know that that's a, a Samaritan woman? Like, don't you realize who this person is? And you're talking to them in that kind of condescending, labeling way. See, the the two labels upon that woman were that she was a woman, first of all. And again, like I said, you didn't talk to women. That was just they didn't have anything to offer." In the early church, they were kept separately. They were kept In the synagogue, they were kept separate. Women weren't supposed to speak in church because they had nothing of value to add to a man's world. That's how they were viewed. And Jesus broke that mold when he would actually sp- speak with women like this Samaritan woman and many other women that spoke into his life and into the life of the people around him. Jesus honored them and uh, countered their thoughts to be worthy of listening to So first of all, she's a woman. Secondly, she's a Samaritan. Now the Samaritans are kind of like the the half-brothers and sisters of the Jews. They're the ones that didn't keep the purity of the line. They're the ones that were were, um, uh, uh, watered-down version of their religion. And they they didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worshiped on a mountain in Samaria. And they 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 just were kind of like they were they were they were outcasts amongst the pure Jews. And so they had nothing to do with the Samaritans because they were they were there there was a sense of of, uh, of superiority over them. But Jesus, when he speaks to this woman, he doesn't speak from a place of power or prestige. He doesn't make this woman feel small in his presence. Jesus actually makes this woman feel better about herself. Even when he talks about her worst characteristics or her her worst sins or her biggest failures in life, Jesus doesn't make her feel small in that. He doesn't put her down. He speaks to her in a very... uh, Caring and kind way, he adds value to her life by befriending her and listening to her story. You know, um, this was really this is a hard thing for the early church to grab onto. If you read this, you read the New Testament. You know, we talked about Peter last week, and Peter preached to, on that day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people came to Christ, and he was excited about that, and he just kept on going and telling people. But there was, a, there was an area where, where Peter had a blockage, even in himself as a, as a preacher. There were certain people that he thought were disqualified. And God had to speak to Peter at one point in his life, and 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 Peter, when he told people about that later on, he said, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. You see, that was the label that the Jews put on people that were different than them. They would say they were impure or unclean. You caught in the story there where, where the woman said to Jesus, well, why are you asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan and some, and Jews won't even drink from the same cup as a Samaritan. What do you, you want to take water from my jug? You're, you're not supposed to do that because I'm unclean. You see, so there was a label that was attached. And then Peter had this label when he thought about certain kinds of people like Samaritans and other foreigners. They would be unclean. And God spoke to Peter very clearly in the book of Acts and said, you are not to call anybody impure, Or unclean. Now we don't use the words impure or unclean very much anymore. But as Christians, we might say, "Oh, that person is unsaved," or we might say they're a non-believer, or we might say they're lost, or we might say they're they're of a different religion. They're Muslim, or they're they're Hindu, or they're uh, Buddhist, or uh, whatever, or they're atheist. And we, we quickly put labels on them. We might put a label on them that is, you know, um, that has to do with their race. They're black, they're white, they're Asian. And when we, we put a label on a person, we, we assume a whole lot of things about them. We kind of are able to categorize them. It's kind of like a filing system that we have when we label people. Oh, um, uh, he's divorced. Uh, he's gay. Um, she's, she's uh, a widow, she's poor, she's rich. You know, we, we, when we put a label on a person, we can categorize them, and then we assume a whole bunch of things about people. Jesus didn't use those labels, and if we're going to be friends with people, we have to resist the labels. Even if that person is very different than us, we can't, we can't judge them by the labels that we might place on them. We need to get to know them first to understand who they are, what their story is. Because every person, no matter what their race, no matter what their religion, no matter what their marital status is, no matter what their morality is, no matter what their, their status is and via wealth, no matter whether they're a criminal, no, no matter what kind of label you can put on, every person is a child of God that God created and God loves and a person for whom God sent his son. Every person, no matter what label you want to put on them, God loves them. God loves them. God really loves that person. And so should we don't argue with them. We talked about this already, but don't argue with them. If we're argumentative, we lose the right to speak into someone's life. I love to argue. I love debating. I, you know, when I was, from a very young age, I was a great debater. And I could, uh, you know, I could use my words really well to be able to argue with a person about a specific topic. And, uh, um, but when you become argumentative in a relationship, you lose the right to speak into their life. If you're self-righteous, if you're impatient, if you're ungracious, if you're judgmental, if you're dismissive, we are disqualified from spiritual friendship. Jesus avoided all the woman's uh, conversation that would have got them into an argument. She, did you notice what she said? when he, you know, he, She said, well, we worship on this mountain, and you Jews say you have to worship in Jerusalem. She tried to throw out a controversy and Jesus avoided that completely. He says, well, coming, there's coming a day, and it's even here right now, when we'll all worship God in spirit and in truth. He found, the, he found the ground, the common ground. He found the positive way to address this issue of conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. And he pointed out the kingdom of God is here, and we're all gonna, this is all going to be laid aside very soon anyway, so why don't we just begin right from this point and not worry about that controversy. Let's not get caught up in the controversy surrounding what we believe and who we are. Don't judge. Jesus didn't judge this woman, even though he knew exactly her moral failures. He knew that she had been married five times and that she was now living with a man wasn't bothering to get married to him. And that, of course, was something that was not acceptable in their culture. It was something that was seen as being sinful or immoral, but Jesus, Jesus understood this woman. He didn't, he didn't judge her for it. He just stated it as a fact and let it be. Jesus reserved harsh treatment only for people who should know better. If there were religious people, Jesus would be critical of them. If there were people that claimed to be righteous but were living hip- hip- hypocritically, if they were hiding something in their life or they weren't living up to their own values, then Jesus would speak harshly to them. Jesus' harshest words were for religious people, never for sinners, never people who were trapped in the course of their sin. He didn't judge them, even though he knew what they were doing was wrong. He didn't justify their behavior. He didn't justify this woman's behavior, but he didn't judge her either. He was very careful in the way he treated her. People like the Samaritan woman, who were low class, the wrong religion, the wrong gender, lived a sinful lifestyle. To these people, Jesus was their friend. He was known as a friend of sinner. You see, judging leads to disengaging with people. Once we we can put person in a category and we can say they're a sinner or they're this or they're that and we can can be self-righteous about it, we often will disengage from that person. We'll often pull back from that person and say, well, I don't need to spend time. Jesus didn't disengage from people. He always kept the conversation going. He would ask another question. He would ask another way to say it. Jesus always kept that conversation going. And Paul said this to Timothy, "We need to keep engaged because perhaps God will change their hearts and they will learn the truth, then they will come, they will come to their senses." What if that person that you're prepared to dismiss because their lifestyle is not something you, dis- you agree with or because their religion is something you don't understand and you feel that they're wrong and you think, well, I'll pull back from that person because I, I, don't, I don't understand them. What if, what if you do that and God is preparing to speak into their hearts and into their lives and they're about to make a critical change In their life. And God wants to use you to bring about that change. Sometimes our fears and sometimes our prejudice, sometimes our labeling causes us to disengage. But Paul says, be careful about that because just at the time you might pull back with someone that vehemently disagrees with you, that may just be the moment that God is is about to do something wonderful in their life. Stick with it, stay in it. Don't be judgmental. And finally, don't fix people. Jesus was quite aware of the flaws that this woman had, but did not correct her. You know, seeing the flaws in other people is really easy. Um, It's very easy to judge another person. The way they look, the way they, you know, we talked about those labels already. We have those quick labels, and with those labels come a whole list of things that we assume about that person, and we can so quickly uh, judge them. Seeing the flaws as another is easy, but flaws and sins are what qualifies a person for the love of Jesus. The very thing that you might be critical of in that person or might be offensive to you in that person is the very thing that makes them, that qualifies them to come to Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Jesus was a friend of sinners. That was the kind of people he hung up with. And when people criticized him for it, he said, well, It's the sick that need the doctor. Now, what if you made an appointment you called your doctor tomorrow and said, well, I'm not feeling well, doctor. And you probably talked to his receptionist or her receptionist. And you say, I'm not feeling well. Can I get an appointment to see my doctor? Oh, no, sorry, the doctor's only seeing well people today. Uh, Your doctor's changed this policy, and he'll only see you if you're healthy, not if you're sick. So call back when you feel better. Now, wouldn't that be crazy? (laughs) Wouldn't that be crazy? That's what Jesus said. It's the sick that need a doctor. So the very thing that you think may be disqualifying that person from Jesus is the very inroad that Jesus has to bring health and healing to that person. It's the very opportunity that Jesus has to minister to that person. And who's the person that's supposed to minister on behalf of Jesus? Jesus. You and me. So we don't fix them, we don't we don't analyze them, you know. If you go to the doctor, he might give you a prescription. Jesus didn't give people prescriptions. He didn't say, do this, do this, do this, unless he was healing them physically and had some specific things for them to do. But spiritually, there was something deeper that worked in his life, and him meeting people. We're gonna talk about someone like Zacchaeus in a few weeks. And when I mean Zacchaeus's life just turned around dramatically, just by Jesus' presence in his home. There was a man once that Jesus, that was, was um, dropped down through the roof, not, not dropped, like you know, on the floor. He was on a stretcher, and they, they kind of, you know, they couldn't get in, and so they, they, they made a hole in the roof, in the thatching on the roof, and then they let the man down. And Jesus healed the man physically, because that's what he came for. But then Jesus at the same moment said, by the way, your sins are forgiven too. Just in the presence of Jesus, that person's life was completely transformed. Jesus didn't give him a prescription of what his life was going to be like from then on. Jesus trusted that the Spirit of God was going to continue to do that work in that man's life. So we come into a person's life and we stick with them. We hang out with them. We invest in them. We spend time with them. We we continue to, to pour into them. And they pour into us at the same time. We learn, we grow, we change. We experience life in our soul and our spirit through this person. And together, there's a transformation that takes place in our life and in their life. So Jesus said to this woman, he said, uh, well, he didn't say much to her, actually. He didn't say a lot to her. You, you, I mean, you heard what he said in the, in the video. But that woman went away, the Bible says. She went back to her community, and she said exactly the words you saw in the video. It, the, the scripture quotes her as saying, she would say to people, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. She became a friend to others. She pulled her friends in, and she became an influencer for faith and for goodness. And the Bible says that a great spiritual awakening took place in that community because that woman had an encounter with Jesus. So I encourage you in this coming week and the worship team is going to come back, and we're going to sing another song before, uh, before Peter comes to close the service. But I want to encourage you this week to continue to develop the skill of conversations with people. Keep up the conversations with the people maybe you've been having conversations with this week. But I also want you to think and look for people that are very, very different than you. You know, sometimes we're drawn to people that are very similar to us. I had a conversation with a man that I didn't know um, the other day at the gym, and uh, he was having a hard time getting around, so I saw I had something in common with him because his knees were bad, my hips are bad, and we had a, you know, one of those senior conversations about health issues and, you know, comparing notes on our health, but I saw in him something that was very much like me, and I began a conversation with him about that. But what about the person that's really different than me? Someone I have very little—maybe someone that's a lot younger than me. Someone whose skin is a different color, someone who speaks a different language, and it's hard for me to understand them because their accent is strong. I encourage you to try to have some of those conversations this week. Lord, I. Pray